Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Well, Jesus had a divine nature and he had a human nature. And in the first message of this series, it, it was called the divine seed king because I was emphasizing the fa that fact that he was divine. We learned that all the kings of Israel failed, even the good ones. And as a result, the nation went into exile as the Mosaic Covenant had warned. They needed a righteous king to keep the Mosaic Covenant. And just before the southern kingdom went into Babylonian exile, God promised exactly that through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king. Yet, who but God is righteous, we asked. Exactly. So in the very next verse, God promised that the Davidic king who was coming would also be divine. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. David, Isaiah, Daniel, they all prophesied that this king would be uh, divine. Yet, he was human as well, and Isaiah said it. He said a child would be born in David's lineage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. That's that famous Christmas passage we like to go to. Yet, uh, that means he had, now I want you to listen very carefully, he had two natures. He had a God nature, and he had a human nature. Now, what do we mean by nature? Well, that's a good question. Let's start by defining what we mean by a person first, because many people confuse this. They confuse persons with natures. They're not the same. So I want you to look carefully. It's on your screens. A person is an individual with suitably complex mental capacities, which include consciousness, self-consciousness, and relationality. Okay, you got that? That's what a person is. And there's different kinds of persons. So for example, you can have a divine person, like the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have those characteristics. They're persons, they're actual persons in that uh, definition. You can have angelic persons. And you can have human persons. So there's three different kinds of persons. But they all have those three things in common. Now, what do we mean by nature? Well, um, a, a nature is a set of characteristics which determine the kind of person. So the kinds of characteristics or attributes, whatever you want to call them, uh, uh, assigned uh, 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 to, to God, that, make, that makes it a divine person. Or if it's, it's a different set of characteristics or attributes, if it's an angelic person. Or it's a different set of uh, characteristics or attributes if it's a human person. Does that make sense? That's what we mean by the nature. Okay? So don't confuse those, those two. Uh, so a divine person has characteristics such as, uh, has, a, has a divine nature with characteristics such as he's omniscient, they're ob omnipotent, omnipresent. But a human uh, nature does not have those characteristics or attributes. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They're not omnipotent. You see that? 
And that's what we mean. They're both persons, but they have different natures with accompanying characteristics. And those characteristics determine what kind of person they are. All right. Same thing with angelic ones. Jesus didn't take on a second personality. Personality. <laughs> he wasn't two persons. Then he would have had multiple personalities with two consciousness, two minds, two wills. Uh, he didn't, he was one person. We don't have two Christs. We have one Christ, one being. But he had, this is very unique and very unusual, he had two natures, which means with accompanying characteristics or attributes. So he had a, a divine nature with the accompanying attributes and characteristics, and he had a human nature with accompanying characteristics and attributes. This one person had both sets of attributes and characteristics. The next thing we want to look at is that Jesus chose not to rely on his divine attributes. This is very important what we're going to uh, talk about here. The Hebrews writer makes an explicit statement about Christ's humanity. He says in Hebrews 2, he, uh, speaking about Jesus in context there, he too shared in their humanity. There it is. He had a human nature with human characteristics. He had to be made like his brothers in how many ways? In every way. Not in some ways. The Hebrews writer is careful to say in every way. And he himself suffered when he was tempted. Now what does it mean that Jesus was made like his brothers in every way? Did he genuinely struggle with the challenges of life like, like we do? Did he really suffer when he was tempted? Or did he have access to something that we don't have access to? I mean, it says he's made like his brothers in every way, but did he actually sometimes jump over here and take a little bit? of the divine side just to help things out when the other one wasn't working? That's the question. We've touched on the crux of the matter. Paul had this to say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, who, he's speaking of Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he is divine. Paul is saying that. Did not count equality with God, see, he's equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, and now we got three participles coming, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Now, Paul is restating that Jesus is God, divine. We already looked at that. We gave a whole message that we talked about that. Uh, we, we talked about in message chapter uh, in, the, in the first one. And he restates it. He always has been and always will be God. He always has had a divine nature and he always will. There's never been a time when Jesus hasn't had a divine nature and he always will. And that also means that he has always had the characteristics or attributes 
that go with a divine nature, he always has and he always will. That has never been interrupted. He's one person with two natures. And he didn't get rid of one nature. And Paul is very clear about that. So then, what does this verbal phrase, emptied himself, mean? Well, actually, Paul tells us very clearly. He follows it with three participial uh, phrases. Those participial phrases modify or, if you take grammar, or they describe or define that verbal phrase. They give meaning to it. Uh, it's always disappointing to me when people take that phrase and they go, empty himself, and then they go and run around and try to tell you what it means. Paul tells us what it means. <laughs> he makes it very clear what it means. He says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. All about humanity. Do you see that? A human nature. And um, here's an observation. These fr phrases do not say that Jesus discarded his divine nature or, his or any attributes of deity. Not at all. It doesn't say that at all. Then he wouldn't be God. He would cease to be God. We already learned that in the first point. And here's the second observation. The phrases tell us that the emptying had something to do with adding. I'm not making it up. It says it right there in the verse. It says, taking, adding the form of a servant. He added humanity. So he has a divine nature. He takes on a human nature with its accompanying characteristics. And now he's got two natures. He can work out of both of them. He can use these characteristics or he can use these characteristics. That's why he could die. He can't die if he's working out of these out of, the, uh, out of the divine characteristics. He has to have a human nature if he's, going to, uh, act, uh, if he's going to experience what humanity did. And as we already learned, human natures have limitations. We said they're not omniscient, they're not omnipotent, they're not omnipresent. So when he took on, it was like he was taking on limitations. That's the point. By taking on human nature, he was taking on limitations. If he's going to work out of that, that's limitations. He set aside that which would be incompatible with living a truly human life, didn't discard it. He just chose not to use that side and those characteristics and attributes. That's all it means. It's not that complicated. In every way. So Jesus, one person, had two natures with corresponding attributes. In eternity past, he lived from his divine nature and attributes. And on earth, in his incarnation, if you like, uh, he lived and died from his human nature and attributes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us right back to last week. So what are some ways in which Jesus limited himself by living and ministering out of his human nature rather than his divine nature? Well, there's different ways. I just want to show you that what we're saying is true. Uh, I, I'm not coming, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making something up here. Take a look. Jesus was not in all places at one time. Is that true? 
He wasn't living, <laughs> he wasn't walking in Galilee and living in Nazareth and, and uh, praying in Jerusalem all at the same time. He was in one place. Yet, God is omnipresent and Jesus is God. So he must have been working out of his human characteristics, the limitations of human nature. And uh, the scriptures teach, yet the scriptures teach that God is omnipresent. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. You see what I'm saying? I, those are the characteristics of, of the divine nature. But he's not living out of those. He's living out of these. Here's the second one. Jesus had human physiological needs. Yet God is self-sufficient. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He was weary. Yet God can never experience any of these because he is self-sufficient. And uh, uh, in Acts 17 it says, He has not served God, that is, by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. On, uh, when, when he's living out of his divine characteristics in nature here, he doesn't need anything. Nobody can add to anything. He doesn't have a need. That's what scripture teaches us. Yet, he hungered and all of those things, and they did bring him food. You know, the woman at the, Samarit uh, the, you know, the Samaritan at the well and stuff. His disciples went and brought him food and so on and so forth. Anyway, third, Jesus died, yet God is eternal. He died on this side, but... It, Yet he is eternal. God cannot die. And Psalm says that before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We sometimes sing a song like that. Fourth, Jesus lacked knowledge and, and grew in wisdom. See, what I'm trying to do is sh sh demonstrate something. Though he has this nature, he wasn't living out of the, he wasn't living and ministering out of this nature. He was living and ministering out of this nature, the human one. Human characteristics. Here's a fourth one. He lacked knowledge and grew in wisdom. Yet God is omniscient. God is omniscient, meaning he has total knowledge. And last week we saw Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge as a boy. On another occasion, a woman hoping for healing from a chronic pro problem of bleeding. Uh, she touched his garment, was instantly healed. In, in Mark chapter 5, 30. Uh, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> like, seriously? <laughs> Jesus knows. And we know from the dialogue that followed in the context, it revealed that he didn't know. Speaking to his disciples about the coming day of the Lord, have you ever thought of this? Jesus said, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the nor the what? Son, but only the Father. Now, considering that Jesus is fully God, how is it that he doesn't know? Except that we, unless we acknowledge that Jesus limited himself to living within the confines of human existence. But somebody says, what? Jesus knew Nathaniel before he saw him. In John chapter 1, verse 47 to 50. And though he had never met him, doesn't that prove that Jesus is divine? Not at all. Not at all. Other saints have received outside knowledge and they weren't divine. Think of Elisha. When Elisha refused payment for the healing of Naaman, his servant Gehazi, 
sought to profit from this himself. So he secretly pursued Naaman to receive something from him. And when he returned home, Elisha called him in into the room and uh, called him out on it because he supernaturally knew that Gehazi had gone and tried to get uh, something, a profit from Naaman, though he denied it. The same thing happened with Peter uh, regarding the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It literally says the Spirit told him that they had lied. That's how, that's how he knew. He confronted him. In fact, there's a, Paul talks about the gifts, <clears throat> a gift called the gift of knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. There's such a thing as a gift of knowledge. I've experienced it. Many believers have experienced that. That's not, that's, that's not so new. That doesn't make us divine. It certainly doesn't make us divine. We're working out of human characteristics empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's the point. And uh, that's important. Fifth, Jesus experienced temptation, yet God cannot be tempted. Think about this for a minute. Uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. He's tempted exactly the same way, but without sin. That was the difference. The temptation is no different, and the fact that it's real. Not only was he tempted, but he was tempted exactly like we are. And if Jesus used any help from his divine nature, then he did not experience temptation just like we do. Further, he suffered when he tempted. Really? He suffered when he was tempted. The Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 2 says, So intense was his temptation in Gethsemane that he sweat great drops of blood, and then the Father sent an angel to minister to him. Think about this. Luke says that in chapter 22, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. But God cannot be tempted, let alone suffer in temptation. That's no big deal. Unless he's working out of human characteristics and attributes from his human nature. Unless. James says God cannot be tempted by evil. Further, Think about how ridiculous this is. Why would Jesus, who's God, need help from an angel that he created? Have you ever thought of that? If he's over here, he does not need help from an angel he created, which he created, by the way, from his, hum uh, from his divine attributes. Um... So, uh, Jesus didn't resist temptation by using his inherent divine attributes, but by living by the same Holy Spirit we are to live by, because you cannot do those kinds of things just with human attributes and human characteristics. You cannot do it just with the human nature. It has to be the human nature empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. That's the key. All right, and he did it perfectly. Jesus grew in obedience, yet God is already complete and perfect. And uh, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, are you serious? Jesus made perfect? 
He, he not only learned obedience, but he was made perfect. And the word perfect is from the Greek teleos, which carries with it the idea of completion or full-grown or mature. Maturity. Jesus, that means Jesus learned obedience until he became mature in obedience. That's what he's saying. He grew in learning it. Is that mind-blowing? <laughs> Certainly that wouldn't happen if, it was on, if he was working out of his divine, uh, divine nature and divine attributes. The Father gave him increasingly difficult assignments to prepare him to obey the most difficult assignment, which was death on the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, right in the passage where we've been talking about. He didn't learn obedience through disobedience the way we fallen humans do. He was in the same state that the first Adam was in before he fell. But Jesus lived the human existence perfectly, which is what the first Adam failed to do. And so we were born of that first Adam and then we failed because of it. Jesus came and Paul called him the second Adam. He lived it perfectly as with human nature, with a human nature and human characteristics and attributes, empowered by the Spirit, and then we could be born of Him. And then He models for us how we're supposed to do it. It was fitting that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. But how can God can Jesus learn obedience if He's already perfect? The answer is because. Jesus chose to live by human nature and its attributes rather than the divine nature in full dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's how he did it. Seventh, Jesus performed miracles by the Holy Spirit, yet he's omnipotent. But how can God, uh, you know, and, uh, and we looked at this verse, this particular verse we, we looked at last week, and it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's how he did it. And, and it's Luke writing it, and he's writing it about what Peter is saying. So that means Peter and Luke were saying this. And Jesus himself made that claim. He said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come uh, upon you. What could the Holy Spirit possibly add to the divine nature of Jesus? Absolutely nothing. Jesus' divine nature has always been omnipotent. Dis However, despite what I've, uh, what I've now shown, some still believe that they're were certain, and by the way, it doesn't matter. <coughs> if you disagree, that's fine. But I'm showing you what, what I believe Scripture is, is clearly showing. But some still believe that there are certain miracles that Jesus performed which were in a class only God could perform. And so they deduce that Jesus performed those from his divine nature rather than by the power of the Holy Spirit through his human nature and human attributes. But was there a category, and this, this is essential that we understand it, because if he did it from this side, then we can't. But if he did it from this side, empowered by the Spirit, then we can. Do you see? Was there a category of miracles Jesus performed which were beyond the reach of Holy Spirit-empowered human beings? Well, let's look at 
uh, at some things. And, bef and before I do, I got to start with a distinction here, a, a caveat. We are not talking about works or miracles which Jesus did by means of his divine nature and, ex and attributes before and after his incarnation, his time on earth. Things like creating the world. He didn't do that during his time in the incarnation. That, he used his divine attributes for that. We can't do that, okay? And he upholds the world by a word, uh, the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 says that. He's working out of his divine nature and attributes for that. But everything that we see recorded in the Gospels that he was doing, he was doing in his incarnation. His human nature with human characteristics and attributes empowered by the Spirit. Okay, that's how a, a human can do such amazing things. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, I've got that caveat out of the way, so I don't, I don't get emails on that one. The first thing is there are human miracles which equal Jesus' miracles. Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. That sounds impossible. There's others recorded in Scripture, just a few. Uh, Elisha and Elijah each raised a widow's son to life. The disciples and Paul healed the sick and raised the dead. In fact, Jesus sent, sent them out specifically to do that. Matthew 10, verse 8. And many today do those kinds of things. Jesus was teleported into a locked room. And you say, well, now that is impossible. Well, it is. It is humanly impossible unless it's empowered by the Spirit. Ezekiel did. He was physically lifted and transported by the Spirit directly to the exiles in Tel Aviv near the Kabar River, according to Ezekiel chapter 3. Philip was teleported from his appointment with the Ethiopian eunuch to a place called Azotus in Acts chapter 8. So whether we talk Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. Uh, Jesus walking on water didn't trump any of these. For if you can be teleported, then you can certainly walk or hover on water too. You see what I'm saying? Same, it was, Jesus multiplied bread to feed thousands. 5,000, then 4,000. But Moses fed the Israelites with manna for 40 years. And twice he gave them water from a rock. That's quite something. It's equal. How about uh, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, the forces of nature? Sometimes people turn to that. This miracle is cited as evidence that Jesus is divine. Because it is argued that only God can command nature. That's not true. Job, uh, um, yeah, Job says that Satan, who is also a created being, could control with permission from God. I understand that. But he could, and he did, Satan brought on a storm that killed his kids. And uh, Moses parted the Red Sea so that an entire nation could walk through on dry ground. So did Joshua, so did Elijah, and so did Elisha. They all parted rivers. Now, is, it, is that really a qualitative lesser miracle to part a river? That's, I would say that's a miracle of nature. Is that qualitatively less than calming a storm? Really? No, it isn't. It could be argued that, uh, that it is even greater because while storms come and go, seas and rivers never do. <laughs> storms come and go. We all see them. There was one here last night. Came and it went. So skeptics would just say, well, that's, that's what happens. 
But rivers never part on their own. They never do. That's remarkable. And how about Moses' plague, uh, the miracle of darkness for three days, so dark that no one could see another. The Nile River turned to blood and back again. He did that. And his plagues of hail and boils and frogs and gnats and flies and locusts. Every bit as big as the coming of, 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 um, of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. These were national in scope. Jesus was localized in scope. These even differentiated between Egyptians and Israelites. Uh, this is really quite something. Here's the second one. And this is where you're going to start to shift in your seat. But I want you to understand what a human nature with attributes can do if it is led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was trying to model. Human miracles which exceeded Jesus' earthly miracles. There's two that occurred outside the planetary system. Uh, or out of our planet, <laughs> our planet system, okay? Joshua commanded the sun and moon to stand still. Joshua and the Israelites were fighting against five kings, and when he realized that enemies would escape under the cover of nightfall, he called for the sun and moon to stop. This isn't just a story. This happened. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. That's incredible. Here's the second one. Isaiah moved. <laughs> Isaiah went one step further. He said, okay, Joshua, that's a pretty good one. Watch this. Hezekiah was about to die, and uh, Isaiah told him to get his house in order. Isaiah, I mean, um, Hezekiah, king of Hezekiah, cried to the Lord, Oh God, I've, I've lived for you. Give me, give me 15 more years. God said, I'll do it through Isaiah. He said this. So then uh, Hezekiah says, Well, then I need a sign that you're going to do it. And Isaiah says, Okay, here's your choice. The sun can go ahead by 10 steps or degrees, or it can back up by 10 steps or degrees. Hezekiah said, shoot, it's much harder to stop the sun and make it go backward than it is just to speed it up a little bit. So he said, I'll take the ladder. And it says, the sun backed up. Then the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the 10 steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. In other words, the shadow had gone down the stairs, and the shadow reversed. Can you believe that? I do. That's mind-blowing. And um, here's the conclusion. And there's a, there's a slide for it, I think, uh, even though I didn't mark in yellow. But it, it, it should be there. A divine nature isn't required to perform miracles, not even miracles of nature. What you need is the Holy Spirit. That's it. He determines whether you should be doing it, and, he determ and then he empowers you to do it. And he determines whether you should do it based on what the Father wants. Uh, if it advances kingdom, if it has something to do with that. Okay, what convinced people then that Jesus was God? Notice the disciples' reaction when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea. They, the disciples, were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, you might want to read this entire passage out of, I should have taken it out of Matthew 
8 instead of Mark because it, it, it fills in a few more details that I'd like you to read if you're going to go back and read. So Matthew 8, 18 to 27, go back to that one. You can read the whole account, although you can use it here too. There's two ways to understand the conjunction even. The first one is the comparative use or effect. In other words, even whew, the wind and the wave, this, like this takes it into a whole new stratosphere. Like there's nothing like this. This is a miracle beyond all miracles, and that must prove he's God. We already demonstrated in the point before that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case because humans were doing it too, empowered by the Spirit. Moses was empowered by the Spirit, by the way, by everything he did. Remember that passage where it says that God took from the Spirit that was on Moses and gave it to the 70 elders? That's how he did it. See? They, that's how they did it. That's how Jesus did it. But he did it perfectly and completely. Uh, so it can't be the comparative use or effect that that's be, he's referring to here. I, it's, there's another way you can do it. It's a cumulative use or sense or effect. What Mark is saying is that this miracle is being added to previous unnamed miracles which they had all witnessed together. There were so many of them and now you put another one on there. It just seems like there's no end to what this, this man can do. He does so many of them. Well, actually scripture comments on that. Now there, John says, now there are also many other things or works that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the, uh, the books that would be written. Though others had performed miracles as qualitatively great as what Jesus was doing, we just showed that. None had performed such a vast number or such a vast variety of miracles. Not one of them. Not even close. He was in a category all of his own. And that got their attention. John 7, 31 says, Many in the crowd believed in him. They said, When Messiah comes, will he perform what? More signs? It doesn't say greater. It says more signs than this man. Their spiritual eyes had been opened. They had crossed a line. He was the promised one and he was more than what they had ever imagined. Oh yeah. Jesus didn't perform those miracles using his divine attributes. He lived and ministered using his human attributes and his human attributes were empowered by the Holy Spirit and that's where the hope for you and me is. Jesus expected his disciples to do the same thing, which is why he was upset with them, saying that they had such little faith in Matthew 8, 26. He had, do you know what he had already told them? If, that, I, that's why I want you this week, go and read that passage. He said, let's go to the other side. When Jesus says, we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. And he, he said he couldn't say or do anything without the will of the Father. He said that in John 5, 19, 5, 30. And uh, we looked at that in, in, in previous two messages already. Okay? So when he says that the Father wants us to go to the other side, we are going to the other side. That's why he was upset with them. 
And some commentators, I've even read commentators, I, I, I actually believe this, um, and now I've, I've actually read commentators who actually believe this too. Doesn't make us right. <laughs> uh, but they, they say, Jesus actually expected them to deal with the storm. Why not? He told them to raise the dead. He told them to heal the sick. He told them to drive out demons. Uh, and uh, why not this? And um, none of us will ever do... And by the way, I, I've read stories modern day, by modern day, I mean, within the last couple of hundred years, of evangelists who would be traveling by ship to a place and they'd come to a storm and they weren't going to make it to their place in time and they were in prayer and then they spoke to the storm and stopped it. I've heard of uh, stories like that. I've read a number of them in different continents where evangelists were going to preach the gospel and a big storm came and they told the storm to stop for the kingdom's sake. Now, I'm not ta talking about this because I want you to all go outside today and start and stop storms. That's not my point. My point is, human, Jesus did what he did with his human nature and human attributes empowered by the Spirit, which, and led empowered by the Spirit, and he expects us to do the same. He expected his disciples to do that. We'll never do the same number of miracles that he did, nor uh, the, the same variety, as great a variety as he did. However, each believer can do the same kind of work that Jesus did while he lived and ministered on earth, and I can prove it. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. The, the, the whoever, there's a definite article there. It literally means the one. It's, a, it's in the singular, the one. It's properly translated whoever there in the ESV, no problem. Greater works than these will he, that pronoun, second person, singular. He's not talking about all the disciples or the whole church put together. No, no. He's talking about the one who is believing in me, in him, will be able to do what he did because he's going to the Father. Oh, and greater. And we just showed you some who had done things that were arguably greater. Every single believer can do the same work. Because, even though they have human attributes, because they have the Holy Spirit to do it just like Jesus did. And that's significant. There isn't a challenge, listen to me, or an assignment that is too big for you to overcome or to accomplish or endure just like Jesus did. Not one. If he tells you you're going to the other side, then that's what you're doing. And then, he, and then he expects you to hear that and participate in it. Not just sit back and say, well, we'll see what he does. No. Now we participate in that. Why? Because using only his human attributes, Jesus accomplished all he did by the leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he spent so much time in prayer. Finding out what the Father wants, communicated to him, as we demonstrated last week, in prayer by the Spirit. 
That includes healing people, freeing people from the devil, ministering effectively, producing lasting kingdom fruit, discipling people, uh, patiently enduring through suffering, advancing kingdom, doing exploits for, for God, just like Jesus did, empowered by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. There's no storm that can swamp you. Trust him. Listen for his will in your situation. Then carry out his instructions in the power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Very next verse. That's what he said. That's the, con the whole context of what I'm talking about here in John 14. You know what the context is? Holy Spirit. It was Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he says, you will do greater works. Anyone believing me can do that. But... Whatever you ask in my name, that means according to his will. Not, it's not just going and doing a miracle show. No. We, we can do the works that need to be done to accomplish what he wants to work in and through us. This I will do, he said, then the Father may be glorified in the Son. Within God's will, you can do anything that God did or even that Jesus did or even greater if that's what he's asking you to do on any, on any occasion. I really believe that. You know what? I'm, I, I, this time I'm going to end it. This last year was a great challenge, wasn't it? And uh, we had a crisis last summer. And uh, I remember I called my church renewal coaches together and I said, I don't know, God hasn't told me, his spirit hasn't revealed to me exactly what's all going to happen and how we're going to do this. But if he doesn't show us that he's taking us to the other side, we're done. And we won't, this was in the middle of August, and I said, we will not be running church renewal come September because of, an, uh, because of the association between Southland and church renewal. Uh, humanly, there's no way that this can happen. Well, not only did we start the season, the week after next, we're finishing the season. Do you know that last, this, this weekend, 330 people took another set free that was run here in Canada, 330. There's a, another set free going on in Latin America at the exact same time. During this time, we, uh, we've now developed an app for ministry, and a second one is being uh, made. More pastors are being added on. We haven't lost any of our finances. In fact, Southland hasn't. Uh, like, I think they said they were like at 80%, I think I heard them saying, of last year. And that includes what happened with COVID, and COVID had a major impact. Church renewal hasn't skipped a beat. In fact, do you want to see the impact church renewal is having now after this season? Uh, we're going to put it up on the screen. I think. Oh, there it is. Can, can they see that on the... Yeah, okay. There, there it is. Look at the impact that church renewal is having now. Here's my point. This is how I want to end it. When the Father says... And the sons say, through the Spirit, 
you are going to the other side. And we listened in prayer, and he said, I want you to keep going. I've got, to, I've got this. Oh, he spoke to us through so many people in so many different ways. I've got this. And then you listen in prayer, secondly, and you get details, strategies, plans, next steps. And you follow him through, and you get through the storm, and you get to the other side. Amen? That's what the reflection is about. Are you facing an impossible storm or problem or suffering or assignment? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you his will for you in it. And then when you are aligned with his will, then you get the next step, the next strategy, the next plan, and you carry it out by faith. And watch God stop the storms and get you to the other side. Amen and amen. That's the emphasis of this message. Jesus showed us how to do that. How to live a truly human life led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now he says to you, you go and do likewise. You'll do works as great or greater than these, as they're called for by my Spirit. Amen and amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204 204- 326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.